Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery, and I'm excited to have Sarah Dusak, who's a general partner of Enigma Ventures, which is a newly founded venture capital fund focused on investing in female founders and entrepreneurs in Southern Africa. Um, Sarah was a co-founder of Under Canvas, the leading U.S. adventure hospitality company offering luxurious glamping accommodations just minutes away from America's most popular and iconic national parks. Um, Sarah is an alumni of Manchester University. Uh, welcome to the uh, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Good to be here. Awesome. So, uh, so, so you have an interesting journey. You you started you British. You started in the UK, uh, but you built a, a large company and had a, had a great exit in the US and, and now in the uh, in Africa. How did how did you get into this crazy world of startups? Hmm. By accident. So I never intended to be an entrepreneur, and I don't think the idea of being an entrepreneur really ever crossed my mind. Um, but I, I definitely always thought of myself as a pioneer, someone who wanted to go where no one else had been before um, and break new ground. I just had never sort of I connected the dots with the, with the concept of entrepreneurship, um, which means I didn't get any input while I was at school that this might be something that I might be interested in. Um, but I started my career working for nonprofits and I considered myself to be a save the world person. Um, was wanting to do good and and make people's lives better and um, generally make a difference in the world. And so when the when the idea of 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 going into business came up, I really thought about business as being the dark side, you know, like the the evil side of the of the empire was was this whole concept of making money. Um, so I've come a long way since those days. Got it. Got it. Interesting. And you know, from from the world of nonprofits, how how did you uh, and what made you start under Canvas, which is uh, uh, you know a premier clamping company? How how did that uh, you know come into picture? Yes, we we after sort of eight years of almost a decade of of working at nonprofits, I was burnt out, worn out, frustrated, and really went back to the drawing board with thinking like, what's next? You know, I had a quarter life crisis. I was in my late twenties. Um, and was really sort of searching for if I'm if I'm not going to work for NGOs anymore and I'm not going to go back and work in far-flung places around the world, what am I going to do? Um, and I started to sort of wrestle with this idea that maybe that NGOs um, are not the vehicle for driving change and driving innovation and moving the world forward and that maybe the vehicle for doing that actually is business because right. business exists to solve a problem um, and they have to be sustainable because they have to make money to continue to exist. And ideally, they're, they're always solving a problem of some kind. That's the very nature of being business. You innovate to solve a problem um, and you do it in a sustainable way that people will pay you for your services or your products and you keep doing what you're doing. Um, so I started to really wrestle with this idea that could business be a force for good in the world? Could business be a vehicle for driving change um, and creating innovations that solve big world systemic problems? Um, and so I, I went back to the drawing board and, and went and did his master's degree and wrestled with these thoughts some more and came to the conclusion that 
I think it could be. Um, and if that was true, that, and I wanted to do some good in the world, then maybe my next step was to go into business. So um, not having a degree in business or having any background in business, um, my husband and I launched a very small company. Our first company we launched in the UK, actually, um, as I'm British. And my husband and I recently got married and it was an utter failure. <laughs> it was a disaster. <laughs> as often, you know, businesses often fail, right, for a number of reasons. And the great financial crash rolled around in 2007, 2008, and we uh, got caught up in the middle of that and couldn't survive through it. Um, and so our first business quickly um, came to an end during that, that era and that, that big recession. But we didn't give up. We, we decided that, no, we, we think there's something here. We just haven't, haven't found the right thing yet, and that didn't work. So let's give it another go. So we upped sticks. Um, we moved to the States. My husband's American, so we moved um, back to Montana, where he is from, and started um, our business, which ultimately became Under Canvas, which ultimately became very successful. Um, but uh, it was certainly on the back of uh, a massive failure before that. Interesting. And yeah, you know, a couple, couple of interesting things you, you talked about. You got frustrated with nonprofits, you know. Uh, you know, early in my career, I was fascinated by, by nonprofits coming from India, uh, but I, I found it to be very corrupt. But, 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 but what were your thoughts? You know, why were you frustrated with nonprofits? Yeah, I, I was frustrated because I felt like the change I wanted to make in the world wasn't happening fast enough. And I felt like a lot of the work that I was doing was, was not addressing the root issue of any of the problems that we were, you know, effectively tackling. And I worked first, my first job was in Zimbabwe, and we were doing AIDS education and health awareness um, for young people across the country. And I, I don't know that we made any difference in solving the AIDS crisis whatsoever. <laughs> and, and, and I just... You know, after eight years of, of work like that and, you know, um, certainly very meaningful working in some very difficult places, um, I just I just felt like I, I think there's something more. I think there's there's another way, um, you know, and obviously we've, you know, we've improved the AIDS crisis drastically over the last 30 years. Haven't solved it for sure, but, but, but you know, there has been some change. Um, but I... I just felt like the work I was doing was not getting to the root of any real problem. So the vehicle that I had was more like a bandaging uh, entity that would prop people up, um, help people in immediate need um, and try and do some good. But we just weren't tackling anything meaty. And I felt like, I feel like we, sh we should try and find solutions to, mm -hmm. to big problems. And I, I think that's possible. I just don't know that working in this way is 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 the right vehicle, especially because nonprofits suffer from, you know, they rely on outside sources to fund them to keep them alive, um, and if your project is no longer sexy, funding's getting diverted to something else, uh, the next sexy thing on the block, um, and so there's there's no time and no no real way to, to do anything than provide emergency relief. Um, and that's, you know, maybe what aid does really well is provide emergency relief, relief. But 
doesn't necessarily solve any any big crises. So for me, I felt like I potentially needed a different vehicle if if I was going to contribute to anything that might drive some long-term change. Yeah, Inter- interesting. And and you uh, did also mention about about your first startup. You started with with your uh, with your husband. Uh, I, I I you know I'm married. Uh, I run a you know small publishing business with my my wife, and uh, it's it's always difficult to separate you know personal and professional life. And uh, and you know if there's a failure of a startup, it does affect you in, in a way. How did you balance uh, the relationship? And you know how how did uh, what are some of your learnings on, you know, how can you work together with your partner? Yeah, I've been in business now with my husband for 17 years and we've been married 17 years. And certainly the early years of our marriage were rough. <laughs> um, I think the challenge, I think there are pros and cons of working with your spouse. The, the very huge pros are you have somebody in the trenches with you who understands it completely sure. and utterly, and you can share everything uh, and hopefully complement each other's skill sets in very different ways. My husband and I are very different from each other, complement each other in, in, in very well um, and have different strengths and different weaknesses. And I, I think that's a huge plus. And I, I actually now in the work that I do now, I see many successful couples working together in a really, really great way. And I, I, I love investing in couples and I love seeing couples and business together. Um, the challenges, of course, are that you always, your work is always with you. So you never, you know, the clocking on and clocking off is never quite as clean as when you go to work and your work is separate from your family and, um, you know, you, you it's it's there, it's with you. You know, and we will be in bed at night, often talking about you know things that we're worried about or concerned about or things we've got to fix. And um, it's hard, it's hard to switch off. So, creating balance um, is probably one of the the biggest challenges with being married to your uh, partner in business as well as in life. Um, but I, I would say I, I personally think the the pros outweigh the cons, um, especially if you can learn to lever each other's strengths and recognize um, this is my dance space and this is your dance space and here's how we overlap in the middle because um, mm. then you're a powerhouse and then mm. that's really powerful. Today I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. Super, super interesting. And uh, and you went on to sell uh, under canvas around $100, $100 billion. What, what was... Uh, the process and, you know, why did you want to sell a company uh, and start your own firm? Yeah, Yeah, we we definitely didn't go out to sell our company. It wasn't on our agenda particularly, but we were trying to grow and scale a really large business. So when we we finally launched our our business under Canvas uh, in 2009, we had a couple of years of trying to figure out our, our perfect business model um, and in 2012, we really sort of um, landed on the business model that um, exists today. Um, and um, Under Canvas now builds uh, and operates large-scale glamping resorts around the national parks in the US um, and is the largest glamping company of its kind. 
And when we finally realized what we'd created, we realized we could scale it. So we had had a vision to scale and grow our business in an exponential way. Um, but when it, you know, when we were, when we, when we ultimately sold our, our business or sold the majority of our business, we were just uh, out to raise more capital um, to put in the business to help it grow. Um, but we got an offer that really was, um, would have been crazy to have turned down. Um, so we took it and um, sold the control of our company. And we still, we still own a piece of under canvas and we still sit on the board and still very involved. Um, but the day-to-day operations of under canvas shifted away from us um, and onto new ownership. Interesting. And, you know, I want to talk about Enigma Winches, uh, where, you know, the focus is on, uh, or the, is on Southern Africa. Why, uh, why is the thesis focused on Southern Africa, uh, you know, since you worked most of the time in, in the UK and, and US, and, and why, why is the focus on female founding? Yeah, well, I started my career working for NGOs in Africa. Oh, um, it, was, it, was, it was the beginning of my journey and fell in love with Africa then. And retrospectively, Andy Canvas really was recreating the African safari experience in the US oh. by creating tinted camps. So Africa has definitely been very good to us. Um, but when we decided we would, you know, after selling our company that we would launch a venture capital fund, one of the things that was important to both of us was that that we lever ourselves for the most good. So when we thought about how we might use our capital um, and potentially raise more capital for a venture capital fund, when we looked at uh, you know the opportunities that existed, we looked at Africa again and saw there's there's Africa's woefully underfunded, um, entrepreneurs are woefully undersupported. And that potentially we could lever our experience of growing and scaling a business um, to help others uh, and provide capital and particularly to invest in women. And I'm super passionate about women um, climbing the ranks, creating wealth, creating diversity amongst the people who have power and i.e. the people who have wealth. Um, And so um, for us to get involved in women in Africa felt like a full circle moment. Um, and so that's what we did in uh, 2019, and we're three years in now. Hmm. So super interesting. And um, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's been recently announced that you know Serena Williams is going to retire, and she's got a uh, she got a hundred million dollar fund where she focuses on investing into uh, into diversity, especially into female founders. And uh, and and she realized that only two percent of the venture capital goes into into female founders. Uh, and you know, uh, that's a perspective I want to understand from a from a female VC. Uh, is uh, you know why is it that only you know across ecosystems, be it Asia, Europe, uh, US, uh, why is it that only two to five percent of the money goes into female founders, uh, and why is there so much of less representation of uh, female uh, founders or, or women in in the boards of these startups and companies? Yeah, it's a crazy stat that in terms of less than two percent of all venture capital is going to women. It's hardly a believable stat, really, um, but it's unfortunately woefully true. And, and that was the reason for, for us to focus on investing in women. My own journey of raising capital was exceptionally hard. Um, I, I think the reason for it in simple terms is there are so few women investors. 
um, 99% of all, and maybe it's not 99%, but it's, I mean, it's high, um, of all uh, VCs are men. Um, and the, the VC world, the investment world, has largely been dominated by a certain subset of people who've had access to wealth, who maybe went to a particular set of schools, um, who maybe then networked with a particular set of in society, who tended to invest in people like them. And that has perpetuated itself for 30 to 40 years. Um, you know, I think venture cap, the idea of venture capital is about 50 years old. And, you know, we, we've, it's been this club, um, a, a boys club, um, dominated by by white men who went to a certain, you know, prestigious school, um, which has, re- in my opinion, really damaged. I mean, anytime you've not got diversity, it damages the outcome, right? Um, because it, what it creates is a monolithic expression of, or, or, or something's created or something's funded that, that is one, one viewpoint. And when you've not got many viewpoints being funded, um, we end up with an unequal, uh, not very diverse um, and world, which is what we've got, right? <laughs> um, and we've still got you know, a lot of white supremacy in the mix, and we've still got um, a very high con- concentration of, of men the world over, but but definitely white men con- controlling the world's wealth. Right. Um, and that means people suffer ultimately. And, and the world that we build um, increasingly just becomes more unequal. Um, and so it's, it's a stat we've got to change. It's a stat that we've got to work very hard at to undo and to proactively um, focus on investing in women and people of colour, because that's how we're going to build a better world, in my view. That's how we're going to build a world that's more accessible and more equal for all and creates opportunities for all. And one of the things about uh, moving to America, and obviously I moved as a British person married to an American, uh, moving to, to an America, the opportunities that still exist in the, in the United States are extraordinary. Um, and, and the idea of the American dream where everybody potentially can make it, which obviously is, is not really true, but the idea that, that everybody has equal access to making money and, and starting a new life and, and building a new world is, is an incredible idea. And I think the more we all work to make that a reality for everybody in our world, um, we'd see less war, probably have less disease, less strife, less conflict, <laughs> less, less, um, less division of, of, of wealth and power and um, you know, access to basic human resources. You know, so, there's so many things. Um, and so you know, I'm digressing, but, but the, you know, diversity is so important. And I, you know, it's very easy being white to think, that everything's fine <laughs> uh, and it doesn't matter that white men control, you know, the world's wealth. You know, the reality is it, it does matter and the knock-on effects of it are, are huge. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing instructions and making your days calmer 
and more productive, you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Got it. Interesting. And um, uh, you know, you, you've been running uh, Enigma for, for close to around three years. Uh, what's been the biggest change in your investing style, especially, uh, you know, we had, a, 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 I think, uh, as soon as it started, we had COVID. Now it looks like it's a, it's a recession. So it's, it's been a, quite a roller coaster ride in the, in the past three years. It was right? a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. We started investing at the very beginning of the pandemic. So um, really wild times to, to A, start a business in and, and B, starting investing in, in startups. Um, and now, of course, hitting a, um, another global financial turbulent time um so it's 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 definitely been eye-opening um luckily we went into investing with COVID in mind so that certainly helped in terms of thinking about what will be pandemic proof what's still going to be important through the pandemic and beyond the pandemic and I certainly think investors are more and more critical about um, what really matters now in terms of, you know, thinking about these big, um, massive global shifts that are happening and seem to be happening, you know, at increasing rates. Um, for us personally, I think on a personal level, I think I have become more aware of just how critical the person is. And I always used to think, and it's easy to think when we all watch Shark Tank or Dragon's Den, um, that the business idea is what sells it to investors. And yes, the business idea is, is obviously important, but I think increasingly I am thinking I'd much rather take an average business idea and an outstanding human being who has got so much drive and determination and guts and bravery and you know experience and talent than I would have like a knock it out of the pot that's definitely a unicorn because a you never know what's a unicorn and b it's people that make unicorns happen um so I think personally that's just become even more apparent and even more critical that the best ideas in the world can only be executed by talented human beings got it and and uh, in, in the three years of investing, what's been your biggest miss, uh, and you know how did it impact your mindset going forward? Um, my biggest miss. Um, there's definitely I have to be careful because people I've invested in probably listening. Um, I think there are definitely investments. Knowing what I know now, I might not have made. Um, but again, I think that has more to do with, with people um, and talent and grit and determination rather than the business idea. Um, and certainly there have been uh, a couple of investments that I missed out on and I passed on and I definitely shouldn't have. Um, I mean, that's always the case. And you think, oh, I don't really know that's a thing. And then, you know, a year later, They've raised a lot of money. They're going great guns, and and you had first first chance, and you said, "No, I just I don't think that's anything." So that's tough. That's really really tough. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, 
great, I believe, because um, I have to believe this to be able to do what I do and, and stay sane, is that great people will always find funding. Um, and that if you're really determined, you'll never take no for an answer, no matter how many chips are stacked against you. Mm. Got it. And uh, do, you, do you have uh, any insecurities uh, as an investor, you know, considering there are uh, so many new sectors and, and new markets which are opening up? Uh, does it lead to any sort of, you know, formal concept or any insecurities as an investor? Um, in terms of region or sectors or in, all of the... In terms of sectors, you know, uh, especially when it comes to technology, there's so much of new things happening. You don't want to miss yeah. out. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's always going to be really hard to pass on, on a fintech opportunity, particularly in Africa, because um, yeah. fintech services are um, so underdeveloped. Fintech is probably the fastest, most, you know, fastest growing space in the continent of Africa with so many people unbanked. Um, and so many people not having access to services. There's just so much potential for, for creating access um, and, and helping people level up. Um, and, you know, largely Africa is still undigitized. So um, digitization opportunities are upon us left, right and center, uh, which is really exciting to see. But probably fintech is, is the most ex exciting sector for sure. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's super interesting with the, with the kind of uh, fintech opportunities happening in Africa. Uh, I somehow feel like Africa is what India used to be, you know, 20, 30 years back. 100%. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of Africa feels like the, the last frontier, if you like, <laughs> sort of the last undeveloped, you know, place in, in that sense with the most sort of underdevelopment of, of technology. You know, and and India is a really good example of that of that because it it you know leapfrogged ahead, yeah. you know, wildly over the last twenty years in terms of, um, you know, the the service centers and datas and developers and so much technology um, advancements happening in in India and um, that has really yet to kick off in Africa. You know, in a in a huge way, we're just at the very beginning of the of the, the iceberg, I think. But yeah, that's that's pretty much where we're at. So hopefully, twenty years time, um, Africa will look very different than it does today. Interesting. And uh, when you talk about Southern Africa, is it mostly about South Africa that you focus on, or, or are there other countries where the interesting, you know, entrepreneurial innovations yeah. are? Yeah, we we've invested across Southern Africa, and we just started investing and looking at East Africa this year too. Okay. Um, so we've made investments into Zambia, South Africa, Eswatini. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll look across the region uh, for great people with great ideas. Got it. And uh, and especially looks like you know we could be uh, we are we are in a you know financial crunch. But what segment of the market do you think will be will be the hit hardest by the by this financial crunch? And yeah, you know what what are some of the worries uh, which can come with it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we saw last year supply chains hit really, really hard, and and that actually hit Africa in in really surprising ways. Really, um, just even you know, so you realize how much product or how much even you know jars and bottles and containers coming from India, for example, mm. and 
you know, so much manufacturing not happening on this continent, but happening on other continents and reliant on, you know, to finish a product, a certain product needing to be imported to be able to finish a product and sell it. So certainly we saw in the last year that um, just consumer goods, products and services just being whacked because of supply chains um, and that being really, really tough. Um, obviously, you know, Global fuel prices are super challenging. That's going to be challenging for a while to come yet, I think, for the continent. Um, and then you've got the knock-on of interest rates. And I I, I think for Africa, and I, I could definitely be wrong, but um, Africa's always had a rough end of the stick when it comes to interest rates <laughs> um, and access to capital. So I don't know that it will get infinitely worse than it than it has already been um but it'll certainly be interesting to see uh, further knock-on effects particularly of rising interest rates in the us i mean currency devaluation is the the obvious one that creates pressure in other in other ways for, for doing business but um in some ways um it'll be I, I i think africa may be insulated in some ways from some of the the big hikes um just because she has it rough a lot of the time anyway <laughs> hmm. so um i don't know it will it will be really interesting to see what happens over the next year got it and um uh, uh you know uh, as you mentioned you know the wheat industry has been there for the last 50 years but a lot of things have changed we have quite a lot of innovative products like revenue-based financing and voice factoring uh, but uh, you know what do you think will most likely to change about uh about winter landscape uh, in next coming years? In general, globally, or, or just for Africa? Uh, about Africa. Uh, I am hoping that we'll see more and more capital continue to be poured into the continent because that's really what the continent needs. Um, and I certainly in the last year, there's been increased enthusiasm and increased effort um, for funding startups across the continent. So as we continue to build the momentum of more startups getting funded, you know, hopefully there'll be more follow-on capital coming into the into the com- uh, into the continent to keep funding great businesses. So some big players got got brought to the table this last year SoftBank um made its first investment and and you know writing really big checks. So that's always exciting to see because it creates confidence. Um but I I feel like Africa's, you know, it's it's the next best thing, if you like, and I, I, we're just waiting for everyone to catch on to that fact. But certainly, I think there are huge opportunities here on the continent. You know, the, the scale of the opportunities um, and the ability to invest um, on the continent is is really exciting. And Africa, in lots of ways, is you know, particularly Southern Africa, is relatively stable. Um, and you know, there's you, know, you never say never, but um, I think Africa gets a bad rap for a lot of wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of great things and great innovators and great people making really extraordinary things happen. So um, I'm I'm excited to see more capital and see people, more people cotton on to the fact that um, there's, there's a big wide world of opportunities out here. Interesting. And, uh, you know, at the start of the call, you know, before the call, we talked about, you know, how, Business is is changing the world. Uh, you, you moved on from non-profits to building your own company and had a, had a huge 
uh, exit and now you're running your own VC firm. Uh, you know, how, uh, for the listeners who are trying to start their own business uh, or they're looking at, at, you know, growth opportunities, how to grow the business, you know, what, what advice would you give to them on, you know, uh, how can, you know, business uh, look at, you know, changing uh uh, changing the world, be it fintech or be it, be it any other industry that they want to change? Yeah, I mean, I think the quick answer to that is solve a problem that you care about. If you care about a problem and you understand the problem that you are trying to solve for, for you or and people like you, um, we are going to make the world a different place, right? Part of the problem is that problems are only getting solved by certain subsects of society. And we need everyone... To, to look at their world that they are living in and solve the problems that affect you and come up with solutions for making things better. And then, then if you care about your problem, start testing your ideas, you know, test, test it out. And, you know, one of the most important things is demonstrating and showing traction. Can you, can you prove that the, the idea that you've got is needed and wanted and could work. And you, the, the fallacy is that you need to, you need a lot of money to prove something, right? And the, the truth is you don't. The truth is most of the time you can beg, borrow and steal, maybe not steal, um, but from, from all sorts of sources to, to try and piece together, even with a technology you know, idea, you don't need to build out a full-blown version of your piece of tech to test it. You basically need a, a, you know, a front end and then everything else you can figure out doing manually on the back end most of the time. And so don't overcomplicate it, is my advice. Keep it simple and um, try and do it in a small way. Um, test it out, prove it out, get some momentum, get some more momentum and keep building on top of the step-by-step the -step approach. Got it. Uh, and again, I quickly want to the top three. What's your favorite business book? My favorite business book. Who moved my cheese? Yeah. It's not really a business book, but it is a business book. But it's about navigating change. And so many of us don't, and I don't even adapt to change very well. Um, but it's one of my favorite books because it tells a little story uh, about two mice you have to uh, get over the idea that the cheese that was in one spot is no longer there and they have to go find new cheese. And it's, it's a real, uh, it's a great little story. It's like a 20 minute read, super easy, but so powerful for helping us wrap our brains around change, innovation, thinking out of the box, finding new pathways, um, picking ourselves up after we've been, you know, knocked down. Um, and that's the path of the entrepreneur. So I love that book. Um, I said, if you could go back in time when you started Enigma Ventures, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done things differently? Um, I don't know that I would have done anything differently, actually. Um, I'm a no regrets person and I'm a fail fast, fail quick, learn from it. Um, and so learnings, making mistakes are always really, really good. So, um, you know, Anytime you make a mistake or you realize, oh, it would have been better if we'd done that. It's just learning. So mm. learn from it. Learn from it. Yeah, absolutely love it. Uh, do you have any favorite online tools, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Um, I, yeah, I'm a big Zoom user. 
don't necessarily love it, but I love the fact that we can video call these days. It's amazing. It's right. incredible. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love the product. And um, uh, sort of what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Enigma Ventures? Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram or on our Facebook page uh, or um, on our website, enigmaventures.com. And Enigma is spelled with a Y, E-N-Y-G-M-A, ventures, V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S.com. Uh, and follow us for um, startup advice, um, conferences, um, blogs, posts, um, information on how to build your startup. Um, and we have a whole bunch of learnings for early stage entrepreneurs to hope you get funded too. Sorry, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Sarah, thank you so much for taking your time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.